welcome to the Active Listening Podcast. I'm your host, Ariana, and I have the great pleasure of unearthing the stories and thoughts of others. Today we get to hear from Matthew Michelson. Matt is a sound recordist, audio engineer, and documentary filmmaker. He is the co-founder of Spruce Tone Films, serves as the executive director of Wilderness Quiet Parks, and is on the board for One Square Inch, which works to protect Olympic National Park from noise pollution. He loves the outdoors and hopes to inspire others to care for the earth, preserving natural soundscapes. In this episode, we talk about the ways in which modernization is affecting our world and us personally, especially in regards to noise pollution. It is so much greater than we may realize. In fact, it may cause feelings of discomfort and bad vibes to bubble to the surface unexpectedly. Perhaps you've never thought about how noise is impacting our world, and that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. That's okay. Let's sit with the discomfort and allow it to change us. Maybe it will provide greater insight or the words to say when you're in tough conversations with others. My desire with these conversations is to share perspectives and stories of others while encouraging you to think for yourself. May we see each other as complete humans regardless of differences. And while we're at it, may we continue to love well. Please join me for this conversation about noise pollution, losing the silence. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am your host, Ariana, and I have the great pleasure today of interviewing Matt Michelson. Welcome, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So for those who don't know who you are, you are many things, and I will read the list. (laughs) (laughs) You are a sound recordist, audio engineer, and documentary filmmaker. You are the co-founder of Spruce Tone Films and serve as the executive director of Wilderness Quiet Parks and are on the board for One Square Inch, which serves to protect Olympic National Park from noise pollution. That's what we're going to be talking about today is noise pollution and how that is affecting our world. You also own your own audio company. Is that right? I do. And when you list all these things out, I'm like, wow, how did I commit to all of these things at one time? (laughs) Well, that's what I was just going to say. It's like, wow, you are a busy guy and yet... You find the time to sit and be quiet, and that's really great. I feel very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah. So you currently live in Jackson, Wyoming with your partner, right? Yes, I do. Great. So let's just jump right in. What first got you interested in sound and sound engineering and filmmaking? Um, I think I've always had um, a love of sound stemming from music. Um, even from the time I was like really young, I just loved banging on stuff and, you know, like taught myself to play guitar at a pretty young age and, um, quickly thought as, you know, a a pre-teenager, oh, I want to be a musician. Like, that's what I want to do with my life. Um, and went down that road for quite a number of years into my teenage years and, um, was a drummer and a guitar player and wrote songs and worked at a music store and, um, I think at some point, maybe when I was around 18 or 19, 17, I don't know, I realized that uh, making a living as a musician is a really tough life. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to be really good. Like, I think I kind of realized, like, I'm a good musician, but I'm not that good. You know, I don't. I just didn't have um, maybe the drive or, um, I don't know, I, I decided, okay, so like, what else would I enjoy doing kind of related to music? And that's when I started getting into producing and recording. Um, Like I loved setting up microphones and 
pressing the big red button and recording and um, bringing in my friends' bands and setting up a bunch of microphones. And um, it's like, okay, well, this is something I can really get behind because I still get to work in music and sound, but also don't have to like perform for a living. Yeah, like maybe make some money. Um, And yes, I went to school, um, a small liberal arts college in upstate New York uh, called Ithaca College and was studying uh, sound production, you know, recording and engineering. Um, And I realized shortly into my study of sound that like I was setting myself up for a life spent in a studio, sitting at a desk, looking at a computer day in, day out. Um, which all of a sudden seemed less appealing because I've, I grew up like very lucky to, um, spend time outside. My parents, you know, would take me hiking and backpacking and kayaking. And, um, I just realized I was going to miss that kind of daily dose of, of nature or being outside or, um, conservation, you know, like working to protect the environment. So I set out to try and find this way to combine my love of music and microphones and sound and this like real need and love to be outside and be in nature. And that's how I came across Gordon Hempton and um, his work to try and recognize and protect quiet places um, around the world. And here we are like eight years later. (laughs) It's crazy. It's funny how life just has those kind of twists pretty fun and it's funny the same podcast that brought you and i together is the podcast that brought gordon and i together oh really um because i heard him on krista tippett's on being thank you krista um yes oh my god all the praise to krista (laughs) in the world she's phenomenal um she's who i look up to for podcasting (laughs) so good um but yeah and i just sent him an email and i said I was like 18 and I said, what you do sounds really cool. I have the email. Like I've, I've pulled it up That's since. So cool. And I just say like, uh, I love what you do. I'd love to hear more about it. Sounds um, like but the I email was like, I, I sent him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was a kid. Like I was like, had no experience. And he took the time to like hop on a phone call with me. And by the end of that phone call, I had planned a trip out to visit him and for him to teach me like what he knew or some of what he knew, um, a little bit of what he knew about sound recording and, um, yeah, natural sound and, um, how to record it and how to recognize it and how to appreciate it. So that's really fantastic. Well, he speaks highly of you. So I think that he has been able to pass on some of his knowledge to you. It sounds like. I hope so. I like to think so. We joke all the time that I'm like, you know, I'm the I'm the apprentice. I'm a maggot turning into a fly larva that will one day become a butterfly. Um, he's a phenomenal human being. Like when you hear him interviewed, he's like, that's just who he is as a person. He doesn't script what he says. Um, he's just very true, very open and um, isn't selfish with his knowledge. Like I think a lot of people who reach that upper echelon of their fields end up closing in and, and, uh, hoarding that information. Um, and he doesn't, which is just so beautiful. And I feel very lucky. Yeah. That's really, really great. And that benefits all of us. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's like, why learn all this stuff if you're not going to share it with people, Right. you know? Yeah. So did you have some sort of epiphany moment where you're like, cause you talked about that a little bit where you realized I didn't want to sit in an office all the time and do my work. What was it that caused you to be like, the earth needs to be talked about and how it's being treated needs to be talked about? Was there a moment that stands out your mind when you decided, this is what I need to do? 
I think it was kind of twofold. I realized that I needed to work to help protect the earth and work in conservation and to reverse the impacts of climate change after my first winter spent in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And instead of going home, like most kids do for that long university break, um, I went home for the holidays and then came back for um, a winter semester class that was, it was called Winter Sentinels, but it was really like a a naturalist class where we learned about our ecosystem and um, how to, you know, like build shelters and make fire and um, wild craft, different like medicines and all this really weird stuff. Um, But it like really gave me a a sense of place. Like for the first time, I think I felt very at home outside in the woods. Hmm. Um, Instead of like going to the woods, having a trip, going for a hike and coming back, I felt like I was just spending all day in the woods, eight, 10 hours overnight, multiple days in a row, because it really felt like home. Um, and that's when I realized, okay, I can't spend all day inside. That's not going to work for me. Um, my epiphany when it came to sound recording, I think, was when I um, first met Gordon in person. And I showed up. He lives um, in the very northwestern corner of the United States. Mm-hmm. And so I drove from New York to his place in Washington State. Um And I don't remember if it was a specific moment, but I just kind of remember everything clicking and being like, oh, my God, if I could spend my life trying to listen to nature, um, I think that would be a good life for me. Um, And I say trying to listen to because it's not something you ever like stop doing. Right. Um, Even, you know, people like Gordon who have spent most of his life doing it, he still doesn't call himself a good listener. He's just trying to be a good listener. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that that quest was like really beautiful and really meaningful and would kind of give me all the different things I needed, like this like nerdy scientific button pusher that I love, uh, being with being outside and appreciating nature. Um, so yeah, it was like this real kind of eye opening moment. Um, and I think I remember like talking to my mom about it and being like, I'm going to go see this nature sound recordist in Washington (laughs) state. And she was supportive of me, which is so amazing. Um, and I mean, all my all my family was, um, and I'm very lucky for that as well. Yeah. Supportive families can take you a long way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's something that I think I took for granted for a long time. You know, like when you grow up with a supportive family, I don't think you really realize how special that is and what a privilege it is to have mm-hmm. a supportive family until – you know, um, you know someone who's not in that situation or um, your situation changes. Um, but yeah, for your 17-year-old kid who just spent their like winter semester making medicine out of plants tells you, I want to go record nature sounds, I give them a lot of credit yeah. for, <laughs> for being supportive, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, I find it interesting that you were talking about doing that class and how that is what caused you to think differently about things. Because I feel like, especially for people who live in the city, we are very disconnected from what is happening outside of our buildings, outside of our homes, especially now because of COVID. But um, just that whole sense of, especially in winter, it's cold and it's gross and it's not nice to be outside. Or in the summer, I live in Ontario, so the seasons are very drastic And it's either really hot and we don't know how to be in nature. We don't know how to enjoy the cold and we don't know how to enjoy the hot, really. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's true. Yeah, I think um, 
there's, I mean, like, obviously like we are, um, it's hard to feel like we are a part of nature or that like we all grew together, like the environment and humans and animals. Like it's, it feels like a very separate thing. Like we are humans. This is the natural world. Humans exist outside of that natural Mm -hmm. world. Um, But I think that's a relatively new way and a Western way of, of thinking um, where we all of a sudden have outside versus inside. Right. And inside is a place where you're safe, you're warm, you're dry Outside is a place you are cold, hot, wet, dirty, whatever. Um, and I mean, look, I mean, I think a, a very small portion of the world looks at looks at it that way. Like Europe, North America, parts of South America don't even yeah. see it that way. So that's where I um, feel like part of our evolutionary behavior has come to not be as helpful. Yeah, totally. And I think it's. Um, you know, and that's also, I think, one of the reasons why we've um, allowed ourselves to be so – to treat the earth so badly, mm-hmm. you know, and to just take, take, take um, with no sort of uh, feeling of consequence because we have these safe indoor spaces that have heaters and yep. all this stuff. It's zero degrees Fahrenheit outside right now where I live, and I'm toasty and warm right. in my nice little box, um, but learning to be comfortable – in those adverse conditions, not only is like fun, but it also feels so right. Mm. And um, I've had like uh, a lot of experiences where I take friends or family um, or even like reporters and journalists from cities out to these quiet places Mm. that we work to protect. Um, And just like for so everyone knows, like when I say quiet, I'm not talking about overall sound level. I'm talking about noise pollution. Um, it's like an important distinction because yep. the Amazon jungle is very loud, but there's no noise pollution. So that's still a quiet place. Yeah. Um, so I'll take people from these dense cities like New York or Seattle or name a big city into these really quiet places. And it's like, I almost see them, their eyes get bigger, their shoulders like come down. It's mm-hmm. like, they're able to take this deep breath because when you're comfortable in nature, it's, um, I feel like a lot of the problems that we face in our lives, like kind of, they don't go away, mm-hmm. but they fall into place. Um, at least I feel that personally. It's like when I'm outside and in nature and listening, all these like things that I'm stressed and anxious about, um, sad about, um, they kind of all fall into place and I can like find more joy mm-hmm. in my life, um, which has been so crucial, especially over the past year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nine months, whatever it's been. It feels like 40 Forever. years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel so lucky that I get to go outside and enjoy myself. Um, but I think learning how to deal with cold, learning how to deal with hot, learning how to deal with bugs, yes. uh, rain, all these things can like help you get outside in a way that's much more comfortable. And being outside feels good. It really does. Like lean into it. And even if it's just a walk around your local park or your neighborhood. Yeah. Um, no matter how much you want to tell yourself that it won't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feels so good to just like breathe, not indoor air, mm-hmm. you know. You were talking just a moment ago about the difference between silence and quiet. Can you expand more on that so we can have a better uh, understanding of what those differences are? Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
uh, I mean, where to start? Yeah. But um, as uh, you know, after the Industrial Revolution, machinery, um, fossil fuel powered machinery, especially started creating a lot of noise. Um, all of a sudden, we have thousands of airplanes in the sky I live at by any an given time. Yes. Uh, and me too. I have planes that fly over as well. Yeah. Um, there are so few places left in the world that are free from noise pollution. Because we have these planes flying over, most of the land in North America is within like two miles of a road. Um, so car noise, airplane noise. When you go to the, the beaches, you have shipping traffic. Um, there's so few places left where you can just listen to nature without any noise pollution. Um, and people all the time are like, "What? why would you think about noise pollution? Like it's such like an abstract, weird, niche thing to think about. Um but it's important for a few reasons. One is that um, animals, birds, um, any wild thing uses sound as a resource. Yeah. Um, so like owls, they use sound to hunt. If there's a little bit of noise pollution, that prevents an owl from being able to effectively hunt its full range. And it has to spend more energy trying to find that little mouse in a bush at 100 yards away. Um, so animals need quiet. Um, humans need quiet too. Like we've seen... There's lots of scientific studies that um, pretty much conclude that, like, noise pollution is bad for your health. Mm -hmm. um, you work in a loud factory, you're, like, more subject to have cardiovascular issues, your stress hormone levels are higher, um, you have difficulty uh, interpreting information and retaining mm -hmm. that information. In children, these studies are, like, wild. Like, when you see a school that's studied that's close to a train track versus a school out in, you know, like a wealthy suburban countryside, the disparities are huge and it's not solely because of the sound, but right. there are relationships to be made. Um, so we all need quiet. Um, the antidote to all those bad things from noise pollution is quiet. As soon as you go, get into a quiet place and get into nature, your stress hormones lower, your heart rate lowers, your breathing slows. Um, we know all these things. It's not like, um, I mean, I love spending time outside in nature. Call me a tree hugger. I love it. But it's it, this is like science stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's important that we have quiet. And because of mass transportation and all these things, we're losing quiet places. They're becoming extinct at a huge rate. Um, like in the United States alone, we estimate that there are fewer than 10 quiet places um, and when we say quiet place, we're not even talking about totally free from noise pollution. We're just talking about free from noise pollution for like 15 minutes at a time. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So even like uh, our biggest national parks, our huge wilderness areas, um, airplanes fly over every few minutes. Right. So finding a place that's free from noise pollution for more than 15 minutes is extremely hard to find. Um and that's like what I do yeah. is like look at maps, look at air traffic, look at roads and try and find places that will be free from noise pollution. Um, there are so few left. Um, and that's what um, we're doing at Quiet Parks International. A quick plug for the nonprofit that Gordon and I both work for um, is uh, trying to identify and protect these quiet places while we still have them and get people to them. Mm -hmm. um, so whether it's a wilderness quiet park um, like – 
in the Amazon jungle, uh, whether it's an urban quiet park, uh, like in Seattle or New York, um, or a quiet trail, we want to be able to tell people, here's your closest quiet place, go to it and enjoy it. Um, cause we all need quiet. Yeah. I'm curious what kinds of things you are doing to, when you say protect and preserve quiet places, what does that actually look like? Um, it definitely changes a lot based on the area. Okay. Um, generally it's not legislative. It's not about laws. Um, it's, we've tried to go that route, you know, like working with the, uh, aviation administration and, um, different sorts of governments. It just, it just doesn't really work. So what you need is, is local buy-in from people. Mm -hmm. Um, so for instance, um, we're working on a quiet park in Colorado and one of the local communities there is, um, I'm going to say highly religious, but I mean it very broadly. Like there's a lot of monasteries, there's churches, there's temples, there's, um, it's like a place that a lot of spiritual and religious folks have gathered mm -hmm. and quiet is a core practice for them. Right. Um, and right next door is a national park. So like they want their national park to be quiet because yes, they realize it's good for nature. It's good for them and it's good for their religious practices and their, um, their sacred spaces. So getting local buy-in is important. Same thing with the Amazon jungle, the Zabalo Wilderness Quiet Park, which is the world's first quiet park. Um, the Kofan people who are native to that area need quiet to continue their way of life. Um, they need to hunt. They need to be aware of predators. Um, they need all these things to continue preserving their land and um, maintaining their way of life. So uh, it's really like a uh, and identify a spot. Um, it's kind of how we do this. So we identify the quiet place. We figure out who lives around that area, who cares about it, um, and try and empower those people to continue protecting and advocating for the preservation of that space. And it's not just about sound. Like when we find a quiet place, it's, uh, soundscapes are like this amazing indicator for the overall health of an area. So if you have a place that's mostly free of noise pollution and it has a lot of biodiversity, um, that place is also – it's quiet, but it's also like pretty healthy because there's not resource extraction. Mm -hmm. There's not right. a highway that runs next to it, all these other things. So yeah. that was a very long rambling answer to your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. No, that's totally okay because this helps us to understand better. Um, and talking about quiet parks, what – would that look like? Because for me, not having a full understanding of what that means, I automatically think like backcountry Algonquin Park in northern Ontario type of quiet place. But you just mentioned urban quiet places. So what would that look like? Because I'm a suburban stay-at-home mom. And how would I find places like that just around where I live? Yeah, so um, it's a great question. Uh, we on our website, quietparks.org, have a map. Okay. And that map is like a bunch of wilderness quiet parks, um, some urban quiet parks. But it's important that like um, wilderness areas are only accessible to a relatively small amount of able-bodied people who can like take a vacation or be able to drive there or um, have the means to like buy the equipment necessary. Um 
So it's important that we preserve these wilderness areas because they're global resources, but also it's important that everyone can get to a quiet mm -hmm. or quieter place. Yeah. So Urban Quiet Parks program is run by this amazing guy by the name of Ulf Bowman. He's in Sweden. Um, and essentially it's like taking into account culturally what is quiet for a given area. So in New York City, um, Central Park, if you've never been there, it's like this big block of green space in the middle of New York City. And there are I'll put quotes up. You can't see me, but I'm putting quotes up. <laughs> Quiet places in Central Park where you can go and sit by a stream and kind of almost forget that you're in the middle of one of the biggest cities. Right, yep. Um, and that kind of access is arguably, in my opinion, almost more important than like getting out into deep wilderness areas to preserve them. Um, so – and what we do is like – it's such an amazing – I'm like tooting the horn of this organization that I work for so much. But we're all volunteers and there are hundreds of people all around the world who just realize that quiet is important to them or they want to help protect quiet places near them. So I'll get an email from someone in – um name a place, a random place. And they say, hey, I have a city park near me that's like really pretty quiet and I love going there because it makes me feel relaxed and how can I help – um, and then we work with those people to uh, take measurements of how quiet it is, um, give them resources to talk about that quiet and maybe work with local nonprofits to sponsor a quiet park award, which then puts puts it on the map. And then everyone knows, oh, I can go to this place. It's quiet or quieter than than what I'm used to. So um, this is also like an open call for anyone listening. <laughs> if you know of a quiet place email us, like get in touch because that's what we do is we just like try and empower people to protect these places. We can't have like, I don't travel all over the place to protect these spots. It's about like empowering the local communities to recognize and protect uh, a pretty rare and important natural resource. Mm -hmm. So when these places get put on the map and more people would start going to them, how do they stay quiet? It's... uh. It's like the the common conundrum of all outdoor access yeah. is like, how do we maintain the character of a place while still allowing people to visit? Yeah. Um, and we need people to visit the places because they need to know they're important and they need to feel that they're important. Right. But we also can't have so many people visiting that it's polluted and there's cars on the road and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, what we've found so far is that um, – the places that we award as quiet places, when people go to them, they're going for the quiet. Mm -hmm. So when you're like actively trying to be quiet, you can maintain the character of that place. Right. Um, that makes sense. And it's – yeah, instead of like um, – it's very directed tourism, I'd say. Or even if it's just your local park, it's like a very directed activity where you're going for the quiet. So you'll be quiet and you want to maintain the quiet there. Um, as opposed to a lot of like, um, at least here in the United States, our national parks are sometimes they, they almost feel more like amusement parks than national parks Yeah. Um, because there's so many people that come in. There's pollution. There's trash everywhere. Um, it's hard to maintain the character of these places. But as soon as you go a mile into a trail, you have people who are there to experience the nature. So it's like no one's throwing their wrappers on the ground. Um, people are there to appreciate and enjoy, yeah, enjoy nature. And do you think there are ways to help people 
to help create a greater sense of empathy in people towards the earth and quiet places who maybe haven't experienced that before or haven't been connected to it before. Because I know for me personally, I have a lot of people in my life or past versions of people in my life who who didn't think that caring for the earth was valuable or they thought their time here was short, so what's the point? So do you have ways of sharing empathy with people towards this? It's something I think about every day. Um, like how do we get people to just care in general about something more than yourself? Um, hmm. I think you talked all about having a safe place to talk. So here we go. Yeah. I'm going to use it. Please. Uh, in, in America, the past four years, um, I have seen this country that I love and I'm very proud of very much um, swing more towards a place of caring more about your individual self and less about your neighbor. Um, to me, the beautiful part of America and a lot of countries that have like open and encouraged immigration um, and travel is that like we love and care about our neighbors. Like it doesn't matter why they're here, how they got here. They're a human being. Um, I love them. I want them to be taken care of the same way that I'm taken care of. Um, that has – it's been very interesting the past four years uh, with our president to see like that language shift. Mm. Um, and I've seen it um, – I've seen it happen to people that I know and love is that like no longer do they care about um, people waiting at the border who are under threat of violence – it's not about like welcoming these people to have safety in our country. It's about like us versus them. Yeah. Um, I think that's a very dangerous path to go down because after all, like we're all in it together. You and I live in different countries, but what's good for me is often good for you too, especially when it comes to the environment and to climate change and to conservation. Um, that border between the U S and Canada is just like some imaginary line on a map um, things change, but not really. Like if all of Canada or all of the United States is deforested and all of a sudden it's a toxic wasteland, that's going to impact both of us, yeah. you know? Um, so that's like a little bit of a rant. But what I'd say is that um, people who don't understand why um, protecting the environment is important, why recognizing and working to fight climate change is important, why quiet is important, um, instead of me telling you how you should feel, um, my challenge would be to go outside and just be there. Yeah. Take a hike in your local park. Um, if you can, go camping for a night. Go car camping. Um, just spend some time in nature and ask yourself the question again, why is it important? Um, because I really think the answers become endless once you're in a place like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like once you are in nature and enjoying it, the list of like why we need to save these places is so long and lengthy, it can't even be really spoken about. So I think it like becomes self-evident why we need to work to protect the environment mm -hmm. as yeah. a broad stroke or quiet um, once we experience them. And if you care about humans, there's lots of reasons. If you care about animals, there's lots of reasons. If you care about clean water, clean air, um, I wonder you care about God, you care about religion, like any of these things, no matter who you are as a person, we can all like marvel in nature mm -hmm. and in the accomplishments of nature. Um, and we all call it different things, but like 
if you don't quite understand or you know someone who doesn't quite understand, bring them outside. Go for a hike. Ask that question again. Um, and it's okay to change the way you feel. Yeah. Like I think especially um, – I think I've noticed in my culture and I think our cultures are probably, probably pretty similar. There's like – people are very scared to change the way that they think or change their opinions on something, which is – a big disservice to everyone because we should be able to like get new information and think differently based on that information. Um, there's no shame in like changing the way you think about stuff. Um, it should be encouraged and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, it really is. So um, another long rant of an answer. That's okay. <laughs> and I think that shows an element of maturity when you're able to change your views on something or change your ideas on something based on what other people have shared with you or what you've been reading and learning about and you grow. Mm -hmm. It's not that we're changing necessarily, but we're growing and we're becoming different or better or other versions of who we can be. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I think especially with like COVID, we've seen like the scientific community say like, this is what we know. And everyone says, okay, this is what we know. And then they say, actually, we need to like step back or this is more of what we know. Um, and that has translated into people like questioning if masks work or like yeah. what a vaccine does. And it's like science is meant to evolve um, all the time in science. We like we think we know something. More information comes out. We incorporate that into it. It changes our understanding. Um, and it's scary to like be vulnerable in that way and to know that pieces of information can change your whole approach to to life. Um, but it's important that we give that stuff space because how else are we going to, yeah, like you said, grow and, um, keep, you know, being better versions of ourselves. Yeah. I wonder too, if one of the ways to help create empathy in others is to first feel that for ourselves and to have empathy for ourselves and understanding more about how this works and how this all makes sense and, and when our thoughts and ideas change about things. Because if we can't even do that for ourselves, I don't know how we're supposed to do that for other people. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of like pointing fingers at people and saying, you should think this or you need to feel this way or this is right, this is wrong. Um, that conversation can't happen until we look inward and we're like ready to have those conversations with ourselves mm -hmm. and have empathy for everyone else in the world. Yeah. Um, it's like I remember in uh, – elementary school like we had this very i went to a very progressive little elementary school and we had an exercise where we like had to um embody different world leaders um and so like someone in my class had to like act like the head of uh i'm gonna sound uneducated but some sort of terrorist organization that we were currently fighting they had to like embody that person and gain empathy for that person as to why they'd want to attack americans yeah it's like, oh, this is a paradigm shift in my thinking is that like you can always put yourself in someone else's shoes, even if you know that they're wrong or they're doing harm. It's still an important exercise to be able to do um, because it can then solidify your opinions or, on the other hand, make you question what you know. Mm -hmm. And that's a journey that I've been on over the last, I don't know how long, 10 years or something of being OK with questioning and being OK with doubting and just being okay with not being okay and not knowing and yeah. to see where that ends up, where that takes me and just 
to enjoy that process instead of feeling like I need to get here. I need to get there. I need to get from point A to point B. And I don't want to have to worry about being empathetic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think there's so much beauty in the unknown, like some of the most beautiful and um, like thought provoking things that we have in our human lives are things that we don't know about, that we don't have confirmation of. Um, and that's what makes those things so special, you know, like knowing everything would be lame. Like, why would we want that? Um, let's like being able to question and being able to not answer those questions. Um, it's really powerful. Going back to the quiet places and what the work that you do, I am really curious when you are out there in nature and when you are recording the sounds and the soundscapes, do you get lonely when you're out there by yourself or have you learned to embrace the quiet and the time by yourself? Uh, yes. And yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I think I spend more time alone than a lot of humans do. Um, and not only like alone, like lots of people spend time alone in their homes or in their apartments. Um, I spend time alone in these really big spaces where there are no other humans. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that there are no other humans because I've purposely done the research to make sure there are none. Um, I'm very thankful for the time I get to spend alone. Um, it allows me to think in certain ways. Like that's where I go to think personally. That's not the right answer for everyone. But like when I need to think and have deep conversations with myself, um, I go outside to a quiet place to be alone. Um, it is lonely. And I've spent, um, like I spent two years straight living out of a van and just traveling and recording by myself. Um, and I've had a partner for the past eight years. Um, but she was traveling too and doing her work. I was traveling, um, and we'd go months without seeing each other. Um, I, I go frequently like weeks without talking to other people sometimes, um, or a week maybe, um, that's maybe being dramatic, but, um, yeah, it is lonely. I think human connection is so important. Like physiologically, we want to have human connection. We want to like meet people, meet strangers, see family, see friends, hug people, um, Everyone is experiencing that need a lot right now, Yeah, you know, um, especially like I know I've been separated from my family since the pandemic started. A lot of people have. Um, we all recognize the need for like human interaction now mm-hmm. more than I think we ever have. But the, bi- the big but for me is that when I'm outside and at that quiet place and I'm recording, um, I stop thinking about me like almost – I doesn't even come in like mm-hmm. I don't have I statements like I don't say like I'm cold I'm hot for the most part I just kind of forget that I exist outside of this space and it sounds really weird like that sounds like a a weird thing to say um but it's true it's like it's very meditative in a lot of ways um I don't currently practice um any sort of meditation I'm not super religious or anything like that but it's the closest thing I get to um to that experience and when i hear my friends and family who who are very spiritual or religious talk about their experience in church or uh, in temple or in meditation i think that's my version of it it's like i forget 
that I'm even a thing and I'm just here in this place. There's no, um, yeah, there's no I separate from it, um, which I think is really powerful and something that a lot of people experience when they're hiking or backpacking. It's, um, you kind of forget that like you're a separate thing and you're just so engrossed in the place that, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really transformational Mm. for sure. Yeah. It makes me think too, if, if that feeling of aloneness is something that people would shy away from and why they would maybe not want to, but also that feeling of connectedness. It's like a a weird push and pull of, I want to experience this, but I also don't want to be by myself. Yeah. Well, and I think too, it's like, I don't want to paint a picture that I like have it being alone figured out. Um, Yeah. Like I have a few episodes of my favorite TV show and Harry Potter downloaded on my phone. So like when I'm alone in the woods, if I'm feeling like I need to be connected or like need Mm. to be distracted or I'm feeling scared, which happens all the time. Like when you um, almost get hit by lightning? When I almost get hit by lightning, (laughs) um, when there's like big megafauna in the area, Mm. like bears and cougars. And sometimes I just like, I'm going to watch TV, you know, like that's, it's so human. It's what we're used to. And it's our comfort. Um, I think it's like, uh, it's okay to like, to not be okay or to like need something, you know, um, especially when decision-making is really important. Like I often recognize that the decisions I'm making when I'm out there can, uh, I don't want to say be life or death, but they're really important decisions. You know, I have to like have a clear head. I have to be calm. I can't make decisions in the haste of the moment. I need to be like pretty centered and pretty grounded. Um, and so like, no one can like go out, like I'm not a hermit. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't want to be totally alone. I love humans. I love people. Yeah. Um, I love airplanes. I love motorcycles. Like I love all these things that people are like, hmm, but you're, you advocate for quiet. Why do you love motorcycles? It's like, I'm only human. You know what I mean? I love things yeah. that go vroom. Um, you know, I don't want to, uh, just because I like airplanes and motorcycles doesn't mean I can't also appreciate quiet, you know? Which is like the dichotomy of our whole world. There's two sides to every coin and there are multiple sides to who we are and what we can enjoy. And there are so many sides to caring for the planet. And there are so many aspects of how we can all as individuals be activists for the earth. It's not going to look the same for everybody. And that's why I was really excited to talk to you today about noise and quiet and how that is affecting our earth because that's an aspect of climate change and industrial progression and modernization that we don't always talk about, but it is affecting our world so hugely. And I appreciate your thoughts so much about this. And I would like you to to share with us what is what is something that brings you great joy in talking about the environment and caring for the earth and what is something that frustrates you with the work that you do? Mm. Um, I I want to recognize something you just said too, which is that like there's not just two sides to every coin. Or there are two sides, but there's so much in between that. Yeah. I think it's so important to recognize that like people in general are not wholly good or wholly bad. Um, there's a whole myriad of feelings and emotions and actions that like make up who we are. Um, none of us are perfect. None of us are totally imperfect, um, and it's important to give room 
for all that so we can, like we said before, kind of grow. And um, something that brings me great joy from the work that I do um, is spending time appreciating. In this case, it's sound um, and it's the environment and it's a place. I think for me, that's like, I think I get a similar feeling like when I have friends who um, pray to God or believe in God. Like it's something bigger than yourself that you can just like put your whole body into. Um, and while I don't find it in God, I do find it in other places. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's like about appreciating this huge incomprehensible, completely intricate thing um, and looking at a tiny pebble on the ground and looking at an 800-year-old Sitka spruce tree, both are like equally important. Mm -hmm. um, and it allows me to like contemplate my own existence in a way that I really enjoy. Um, something that makes me frustrated, I think at the current moment especially, is like um, dealing with People who don't care, mm -hmm. um, not just about nature, but just like don't care at all about anything. Right. Like people who are apathetic um, and just kind of like a who cares attitude towards everything in their lives. Um, it's not only frustrating for me because I think there's so much more you you could be doing, um, but it's sad to pe see people without reason to fight or without reason to care. Um. And I think that's something we all experience. Like there's just certain people that we know or that we've meet or that we've known in the past that don't care about anything. Mm -hmm. And um, I care so deeply about so much. <laughs> it's almost maybe part of it's jealousy. Like I wish I could care a little bit less. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's frustrating to see people who just truly don't care about anything um, because like what a – what a waste in some ways. Like that sounds pretty harsh, but there are so many people who like um, aren't as privileged as we all are. Um, mm -hmm. And privilege comes in like all these different shapes and sizes. And maybe it's like an overutilized buzzword that's oversimplifying stuff. But like why not use the short amount of time and whatever ability and resources that we're each given or work for in our lives and use that to make the lives of people that come after us or our neighbors better? Mm -hmm. um, isn't that like what it's not about like how much money you make it's not about what you do with your life it's like at the end of the day when your life is over like what can you say that you did um, and if that's just like loving your family if that's like um, doing good for the earth if that's about like uh, putting food on the table like it doesn't matter all those things have equal value um, but at least like find something to like every morning get you out of bed mm -hmm. um, that's what's important and there's no like there shouldn't be value placed on this is more important than that or uh, this isn't important at all but we all need something to keep us motivated especially in times with like global pandemic and political unrest and yeah. all these other things that we're dealing with this year, we all need something to get us out of bed. And what's that thing that's going to get you out of bed? Um, and whatever it is, like care about it and let it motivate you. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And in saying that you kind of answered, but what I was going to ask next, I was going to ask what was your final word of encouragement for people, but I think that was pretty good. What you just said. <laughs> yeah. Um, final word of encouragement, just like, Get outside and be quiet. And even yeah. like when you're done listening to this, just like 
close your eyes and breathe. Mm. Take a breath. Like so rarely do we give ourselves time to just like, uh, mm -hmm. like even just doing that felt so good. Yeah. Um, give yourself time to breathe. Give yourself time to think. Um, this is hard uh, for a lot of people in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, not just now, but life in general is hard. Mm -hmm. um, Actually, in our final moments, could you could you share a little bit of what it would be like to go out into a quiet place and share sh just shortly what that kind of experience would be? Um, more like logistically or, or kind of or feeling like wise? Or like feeling wise of like when you when you leave your vehicle and when you go out and kind of the sense mm -hmm. of place that you have by going there. Absolutely. Um, leading up to these trips that I do um, or times I go out recording there, there is a lot of logistics. Um, where on a map am I going? How do I get there? What kind of equipment do I need for sound recording? Do I need tents? Like, I mean, it's like a, it's an expedition almost every time. Um, but when I get to the trailhead or wherever I'm leaving my vehicle, um, I like step out of, of the car, start walking down whatever trail, usually it's a hiking trail or walking into the woods, whatever. And I kind of stop, um, pretty close to the car, um, and just like put my bags down and just sit because all these logistics, um, the, you know, the planning kind of needs to leave my brain before I can be in that spot. Um, and I just like close my eyes. Once I know I'm like in a safe space, I close my eyes and um, just spend a few minutes like really listening. Like, what am I hearing around me? What can I pick out? Is there a distant stream or a river? Is there wind blowing over a ridge top? Um, do I hear birds? Do I hear anything else that's alive? Um, trying to gain a sense of space. And then it really is just about like, um, if you've ever like taken pictures or anything, it's the same thing. Like something catches your eye, you go towards it. Um, same thing. Like I'm hearing something that I want to investigate more. I go towards it. doesn't matter if it's on the trail. If I have to like hike down and around a cliff band or something, like you just follow that natural instinct because we're born listeners and we're, we're good at it uh, naturally. So I just try and give myself the power to make decisions based on what I'm hearing and based on what I'm seeing to, to move about the area. Um, and the rest is, yeah, that's, that's how it goes. And every once in a while I'll be like, Oh, I'm hungry. I should eat mm -hmm. or, Oh, I need to go to the bathroom. I should make that happen. But most of the time is spent just like trying to be connected with what my senses are telling me. What am I seeing, hearing, smelling, um, and it's it's really liberating and if you can do that anywhere you go too, like go like i've said multiple times go to your local park and just like sit and listen mm -hmm. uh sit and watch like don't give yourself a goal or an objective just like be you know yeah um try and sit there and just see what happens because it really um it's very liberating for no one to tell you you have to do this or for you to tell yourself you have to do this just go and like see see what happens and be open for anything because those are the times that I've had the most incredible experiences. Like, um, when I've recorded coyotes, uh, packs of coyotes singing really close to me, or when I almost got hit by lightning, like all those things were very unexpected, but I let myself be open to those experiences. 
Um, I could have done without the lightning one, probably. <laughs> yeah. But it's a really cool story and a really cool sound recording. So. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said there about us being born as good listeners. And I mean, that's what I said earlier with what my heart is for this podcast is to listen to each other and to really listen to each other, to not just hear what somebody is saying, the words that they're saying, but to hear the heart of what they're saying. And so thank you for sharing your heart and for sharing your thoughts on this great world that we live in on this the love for the planet that you have and the work that you do. Thank you so much for being with me today and sharing that with my listeners. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And it is a great world. Um, and thank you for doing what you do. It's uh, so, so, so important. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Matt. I hope you did too. You can tell how much he cares about our planet and preserving quiet spaces. It makes me want to get out and enjoy the outdoors even more. I hope you paused what you were doing or tilted your head at what might have been said, but I'm so glad you stuck with it. Let's keep on sitting with the discomfort and allow it to move us. I know I now have a greater understanding as to the impact of noise on our planet and ourselves because I took a risk and asked questions about a topic we don't hear often about. The sounds you heard throughout the episode were Matt's very own recordings. I spared you the shock of hearing him nearly get hit by lightning. It was an insane recording that he captured. That being said, now would be a great time to pause, quiet yourself, and take deep breaths like Matt encouraged us to earlier. If you'd like to hear more of what Matt has to say on this topic, please check out his work. You can visit the show notes to find a link to his website, organizations he's a part of, and social media. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, need further clarification on anything you've heard, or would like more information on how to support us, please don't hesitate to contact us at activelistening.life at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Reviews on iTunes are always welcome. And consider buying us a coffee. You can go to our website for that. Thanks for listening, and please join us for more uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm.